Welcome back to the Middle Tech Podcast. You got Logan Jones and Evan Knowles here. Uh, we've got some interesting stories to go over this week. Uh, first of which being this recently announced App Harvest bankruptcy. Um, so we're going to be talking about some of the things that we've covered on this podcast in the past leading up to this bankruptcy, what it means for the company going forward. Uh, we're going to be talking about a very exciting solar project coming to an old coal mine in Kentucky. Uh, we're going to be talking about a new superconductor material that is being hailed as uh, what could be one of the biggest physics discoveries in our lifetimes. And then we're going to be talking about women more at risk uh, of having their jobs displaced by artificial intelligence. So a couple of really interesting stories to go over here. We're excited to get into them. Before we do that, uh, as we do, I just want to remind everyone to subscribe to our channel, follow us at Middle Tech Pod. And before we dive in, we just want to get a quick word from our sponsors. Before highlighting our sponsors, we'd just like to state that the views and content shared on this platform do not necessarily reflect those of our show sponsors. Middletech is presented by KY Innovation, the Kentucky Cabinet for Economic Development's Office of Entrepreneurship. KY Innovation exists to support and develop Kentucky's startup ecosystem, and we are proud to be supported by an organization whose mission aligns so closely with ours. If you're a founder building in Kentucky, you need to check out the resources that KY Innovation has to offer. You can find more information by clicking the link in our show notes or going to kyinnovation.com. Middletech is sponsored by Bolt Marketing. Take your website to the next level with a website that's built to work. At Bolt Marketing, they're revolutionizing websites for small businesses that are affordable, customizable, and hassle-free. Whether you have a construction company, a boutique clothing store, or you own a hot yoga studio, they have options for you. Click the link in our show notes to explore their marketing options that can transform your marketing and grow your business. And as a personal note, Bolt Marketing built our website and they were awesome to work with throughout the entire process. We highly recommend working with them. All right, Evan, to kick us off here, uh, we want to cover this uh, bankruptcy filing from App Harvest. Uh, I do want to reference that we're, we're following along the WKYT article here. Um, so that's where a lot of these facts are coming from. If you want to kind of go back and read the article yourself, lots of news publications have put out, um, details around this bankruptcy, but you know, this is something we've talked a lot about on this podcast. We've kind of followed along from the very beginning with App Harvest. Um, we've been huge supporters of theirs, but we also try to be real about where the company was, uh, as we saw things like their cash burn rate and, you know, kind of saw the writing on the wall as unfortunately we, we inched to this point. So give us some of the details around this. Um, let's dive into the story. Yeah. So if you track, you know, balance sheet, income statement, uh, and just some of the production issues they've had over the last several months, you know, you could see this coming. Um, so first, what is Chapter 11 bankruptcy? It's essentially when a business tries to reorganize and rehabilitate uh, the company's financial affairs uh, and basically emerge from that bankruptcy a stronger, a more financially viable company uh, and take care of their creditors and anybody else that they have obligations to in the process. So we don't know what that's going to look like yet for App Harvest. Um, but let's look into some of the statements and facts that we know. Um, so their CEO, uh, Tony Martin, came out and said, App Harvest, board of directors and executive leadership evaluated several strategic alternatives to maximize value for all stakeholders prior, prior to our Chapter 11 filing. However, uh, this protection uh, that it provides allows us to transition operation of our strategic plan, Project New Leaf, which has shown strong progress toward operational efficiencies resulting in higher sales, savings, and product quality. So they basically came out and said, hey, this is our best option. Uh, that was the CEO. And so during this process, uh, in order to keep operations going, they got a loan from Equilibrium Capital, uh, which will allow them to keep the operations in Moorhead, Richmond, and Somerset going during this process. So 
Um, this is basically defined as the debtor in possession. App harvest is the debtor in possession uh, in this situation during uh, the Chapter 11 bankruptcy, uh, which means that um, they are the company that has filed for bankruptcy that is allowed to continue operations uh, of its business while restructuring. And so that's important because uh, we got to make sure that the jobs are not displaced during this process and they have time to go through the bankruptcy and do it right. Um, and so Chapter 11 also protects the company from other forms of litigation, uh, which is also important because over the last couple of years, there have been several claims by shareholders of fraud, uh, and those, those have been filed. So uh, this is just, you know, again, another unfortunate situation related to App Harvest. Uh, Chapter 11, like they said, um, is what they advised, uh, their, their board advised them to do, and they basically came out and said, hey, this is our best option. So we'll see what that means going forward. This is just starting uh, the filing and the case is going to take place in uh, Texas. Um, that court uh, might be more friendly to the Chapter 11s. They might be known for that. Um, not sure why beyond that it would be in Texas, but we'll see what comes out of that. Yeah, I mean, the, the App Harvest story is not completely over yet, but I feel like we have learned a lot watching this company be built in this region. And one of the things that I just kind of want to bring up that I think is a good point um, that I've heard you know you talk about and we've we've had conversations about is the model of trying to use venture capital for you know a large agricultural agricultural development uh, such as app harvest. Um, so if you want to just speak on that dynamic briefly here, just around like supporting a business model of that type with venture capital versus you know doing uh, raising debt, um, I think that would be something that is a good takeaway just from how all of this transpired. And you know you've written a great article about some of the other things at play uh, with this story, but I think trying to pull out some learnings from this is. Yeah. One of the positives we can do. Yeah, I mean, the main the main point that I'm still trying to figure out and wrap my head around is, you know, why was the company financed in the way it was? It's, it's shady, to be honest. Like, that is kind of a loose term there, but it is very shady. Um, so that's, that's something to consider is why was this company uh, funded with so much capital in a way that no other farming company uh, in, you know, history up to this point has been funded? You know, VCs have no business, you know, farm, you know, getting involved in the farming space. And the only reason I can figure that they would is that, you know, they knew a SPAC was coming. Um, and so there's just kind of, you know, weird situations regarding, you know, the way it was funding, where the funds came from, you know, the ESG movement. Um, so I'm sure as, you know, time goes on and hopefully those questions are answered and uh, we figure out, you know, like you said, why was the company funded in that way? Um, and what's that mean? Chapter 11, you know, with these filings of, but I don't know. Um, it's not normal for a company in the farming space to be getting venture capital. Uh, we've had several experts, you know, on the podcast talk about that. And so that's one of the reasons, you know, they filed for bankruptcy is when you raise venture capital um, and you have such a timeline to perform and you got to have an exit for those that gave you money. Uh, the SPAC was a perfect opportunity to do that and it shortens timelines. Normally farms grow, um, you know, kind of very systematically slower over time and use debt uh, and create cash flow to pay off the debt in this case. You know, that didn't happen. They raised $1.5 billion in a very, very short period of time from, you know, sources that, you know, were very involved in, you know, ESG. And um, I'm not sure that that was a healthy way to grow a business. Yeah. I think uh, one of the things you called out in that article, last, last kind of point here, is it really was kind of a perfect storm of the way the market was to allow that amount of funding to happen. You had ESG and kind of this huge initiative of, you know, some of these really large firms putting money into basically companies that were saying the right things, um, saying, you know, we're, we're operating sustainably, we're going after this kind of goal, which 
you know, you have to evaluate a company not only on that, but also on the financials and is it a good business model? And then you also had the SPAC movement going on, which I think we're going to look back at SPACs as one of the most ridiculous things to ever occur in financial markets. I mean, to allow retail investors to invest in a company that had not made revenue yet, it's an unproven business model and basically take on the same risks, but, you know, at a higher valuation than what the VCs would have bought into it for is ridiculous in yeah, my in I, my one thing one of the biggest questions i have that i'm sure we'll never get an answer to is how early in the cycle of the business and the you know business formation did they know that they were going to spac and if it was really early in the business maybe even when they conceived the business you know I, I i think that that should be illegal and i think there's something fraudulent there now will it come out as fraud no because it's clearly something that the government allows as spacs but if they created the company raised all that funding raised the valuation to where it was knowing the whole time that they were going to SPAC and have an exit, um, I don't think that should be legal. And I think that that is the only way I could see these VCs and these funders getting involved is that they knew they had a quick exit. And if that quick exit wasn't there in the form of a SPAC, App Harvest wouldn't exist. That's just a fact. So I'm not sure what's going to happen on that front, but that's just my, my, my kind of yeah, take I mean, on like that. Like you said, we're, we're never going to know the answer to that. So that is speculation. That's our opinion. Um, but anyway, um, I'm sure we'll continue to provide updates. This is not like the the end of the app harvest story. Like I said, this is just a pretty significant financial move to you know get them to whatever the next chapter is. So we'll see where it goes from here. Um, on to a more positive story. We've got uh, a cool story coming from uh, Kentucky. Um, the Starfire Mine, formerly one of the largest coal mines in the world, uh, or I'm sorry, in the United States, will be the site of a new solar energy center. Uh, so once complete, uh, the Bright Night Starfire Renewable Energy Center will have an 800 megawatt capacity producing enough electricity to power over 170,000 households per year. So I think this is just a really cool project because it's actually something we talked about on the podcast way probably two seasons ago, three seasons ago. We had Adam Edelin on of Edelin Renewables, who is you know, involved in this project as well. Um, but with the idea of taking these abandoned coal mines, coal mines that had been used already, had had the coal mine out of them, and transforming them into something that you know is more renewable and sustainable, uh, like these big solar installations. And so uh, it represents a possible $1 billion infrastructure investment in Kentucky, which is incredible. Um, it's gonna take place over about four phases with phase one construction uh, beginning in 2025. But one of the coolest parts of this story uh, is that Rivian, the electric car uh, manufacturer, is actually involved in this project uh, as they have agreed to purchase 100 megawatts of renewable power uh, from phase one through a power purchase agreement with Bright Knight. Um, so that's enough That's enough power, to, uh, enough energy to power up to 450 million miles of renewable driving every year or about 33,000 cars for a year. Uh, so I just love that Rivian is kind of, you know, doing some cool stuff in Kentucky. We also reported a couple of weeks ago that back in April, uh, Rivian had announced, I believe it was a $10 million investment uh, in Kentucky to, um, you know, I think it was build a, uh, a manufacturing um, facility or uh, part of a manufacturing facility here. So it's awesome to see them doing some cool stuff in the state of Kentucky. Uh, Rivian's probably one of my favorite uh, electric vehicle car makers right now. I think the cars just look awesome. Yeah. So I think their SUVs are some of the best looking cars there are. I agree. I agree. So shout out to Angelo, um, one of our past guests, just because he's involved with Rivian. <laughs> we were texting back and forth with him and always like giving him shout outs on this podcast. Um, he is just excited to see Rivian doing some cool stuff in Kentucky as well. So uh, any other 
points or things you want to add to that story before moving on? Uh, I just think it's a cool story that, you know, we powered the nation with, with coal and, you know, creating electricity for homes. And now we're going to be doing the same uh, with now solar on one of those old facilities. I just think it's a great story and, you know, energy's in our veins. And so we got to keep attracting, you know, sustainable energy, which we're doing a great job of. Uh, and we got to keep doing it. I love that. We'll have to have Adam Edelman back on here soon and uh, get the update on how his company is doing as well. Um, okay, moving on to a story that's a little bit more speculative. So I want to preface it by saying that this is a very early paper that has been published coming out of a team in Korea. And they are claiming to synthesize a new material called LK99 uh, that would represent one of the biggest physics breakthroughs in recent decades. And the reason it's such a big physics breakthrough is they have claimed to create a superconductor that works at room temperature and ambient pressure. Um, so I'm going to keep this story very high level. Um, I'm not a scientist. I don't have a science background. I just have a natural curiosity for these sorts of things. So I was very intrigued when I started seeing Twitter and social media kind of light up with news about this breakthrough. Um, and so just to kind of cover what a, a superconductor is, uh, a superconductor is typically used in things like nuclear reactors, uh, fusion reactors specifically to try and contain that fusion energy. Um, they're used for very powerful magnets. They're used in things like quantum computers. So in a lot of ways, superconductors are what actually powers some of this really advanced tech that we're trying to get into as, as a, a society. Um, and typically, they're often impractical because superconductors have to operate uh, under really low pressure, or I'm sorry, really high pressure and really low temperature. Um, and so the reason uh, superconductors are also important is because it essentially allows electricity to flow frictionlessly uh, through, through that material. Um, and the reason this breakthrough is so important when you start zooming out and thinking about how this could affect, you know, our electricity grid and these emerging technologies, uh, I'll reference uh, a tweet thread from Alex Kaplan. So I would go look this up if you're interested in learning more about this. Um, he started this tweet thread that got a ton of attention on Twitter, and he kind of puts it into perspective what's actually possible if this breakthrough is, is true and, and is able to be recreated by other teams, uh, which caveat is not yet. It's brand new news. Um, but he says 100 billion uh, kilowatt hours of electricity are wasted on transmission losses each year in the U.S. alone. So that is electricity that is lost through running it through power lines that, you know, there's a, a little bit of friction per se uh, that causes you to lose some of that electricity as you're transferring it from one place to another. He says that's equivalent to three of our largest nuclear reactors running 24-7. Uh, and superconductivity enables lossless electricity transmission at high voltages and currents. Um, so really, the, the reason I wanted to cover this is because this is one of those things that if it turns out to be true, what this, this team in Korea is claiming, it's going to be one of those advances in physics that unlocks some pretty wild possibilities. Uh, just to name a few, um, you know, quantum computers, for example, I mentioned that these superconductors currently have to operate under very high pressure, very low temperatures. So imagine being able to have a quantum computer that can operate at room temperature. That would obviously be a very huge deal and really lower the kind of uh, difficulty of being able to build technology like that. Also unproven, but we're just talking possibilities here. Uh, the other one being things like nuclear fusion reactors that have to rely on these superconductors to contain that fusion energy that they uh, create within the reactor. Uh, it just opens up all sorts of different reactor designs. Um, and then more simply than some of these emerging tech um, uh, applications that it could have, just revolutionizing battery technology and our electric grid 
would have a massive, massive impact on society. So again, I do, you know, I, I'm excited about what I'm reading here, but I do want to state that this is unproven. So this is just came out this week. Um, kind of the next steps that we're going to see unfold from this are going to be teams trying to recreate the same results uh, that this team in Korea um, you know, published in their paper. But if it turns out to be true and it turns out to be as easy as what they have claimed in their paper, it is a really, really big deal. Um, so there's something to follow along with. I know it uh, seems like it might be something that's pretty technical, but uh, keep an eye on it. We'll see. We'll see what happens. It'll either be a really big disappointment or it'll be um, something pretty incredible. So that is the news around the breakthrough in physics. Anything you want to add to that? You it's think it's cool? That's all over my head. It sounds great. <laughs> yeah, it's over my head too, but I'm, I'm curious about it. I think it's cool. Um, all right. Let's move on to the AI Edge segment. So AI Edge, stories, tips, and topics for gaining an edge with artificial intelligence. Um, speaking of gaining an edge, we want to make sure everyone is gaining an edge. And it seems like artificial intelligence, according to this study, is indicating that women are more at risk of AI replacing their job. Uh, so Evan, let's dive into this breakdown, what this report is saying, and let's talk about the dynamics of this. Yeah, so AI job job loss is something that you know economists and you know, us as a society need to think a lot about, especially with generative AI uh, that's come onto the scene over the last year or so. Um, so women are apparently most at risk, according to a report uh, by Bloomberg and Revilio Labs. Um, and so here are some jobs that, you know, women hold uh, very large percentages of that are considered to be very exposed to AI. So bill and account collectors, payroll and timekeeping clerks, executive secretaries, word processors and typists, bookkeeping and accounting and audit clerks, interpreters and translators, writers and authors. Um, so for instance, bill and account collectors are occupied by about 83% women and uh, AI is gonna supposed to replace a very high percentage of those jobs. So this report is basically saying, hey, how do we make sure that you know, there is considered, uh, you know, some kind of equity considered as we roll out you know, AI and make sure that you know, women are not more exposed, and we got to figure out, you know, how to replace jobs uh, with new ones if that is the case, um, so that women can occupy and continue to occupy jobs. When we don't have, you know, this weird scenario and very unfortunate scenario where women are more unemployed uh, than men because of AI. So, just something we need to think about um, as a society and as a business uh, business culture. Uh, so, just something to consider. Yeah, I think it's great to bring awareness to that sort of stuff. Um, so. Other than that, uh, I don't think I have a tip of the week. I've shared pretty much all my good tips over the past few weeks, so need to keep experimenting and figure out some new ones to give. Other than that, um, our Spotlight series uh, is going to feature an interview with our friend Armando Diaz of Working with Saint, so be sure to check that out. Uh, we got a really cool recording set up for that one, so um, go check that out on YouTube. You'll be impressed by how far the Middle Tech Podcast has come. Uh, other than that, we hope you guys have a great week. We hope you enjoyed these stories and we'll talk to you next week.